Welcome to The Thought Locker, a podcast that enables personal growth. I'm Andrew Duncan, and I believe positive individual change is the key to making the world a better place. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in. I'm really excited to get this episode out to you. It's full of powerful ideas that you can use to grow your personal freedom. Today I get to interview a, uh, a young guy named Nick who is a really successful property investor in his own right. He is the co-owner of a company called iFind Property, which is a nationwide property finding service. So what they do is they go out and find investment properties for people. Uh, and they also provide education, a huge amount of content on their website, which you can go and look at for free anytime you like, just to help you learn more about the process and what's involved. In this interview, we talk about how he got to where he is today. We talk about his own personal story. We talk about strategy and mindset required to create serious passive income as a property investor. We talk about what Nick looks for in an investment property and where he looks for them. And we also talk about how a property finding service works so that you can understand whether it's a service that might suit your needs. So without further ado, let's get into it. Please enjoy everybody. So I'm very fortunate today to be here with Nick Gentle from iFind Property. Thank you so much, Nick, for taking the time. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Maybe the, the best uh, form of introduction would be for, if you were open to telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and iFind Property and, and, uh, and how you came to be where you are now. Who, who, who is this guy and why is he sitting in front of a Japanese temple? That'd be perfect. Right. Sure. So I'm from the Bay of Plenty. Originally, I grew up in Tipuking, uh, and um, I moved to Japan for the first time when I was 17 as an exchange student, and then I moved to Japan as an adult, and while I was there, I invested, because I found out one up in finance and didn't like it, and sort of did okay enough, I think, well, in hindsight, not really, but at the time, it was my 20s, uh, to stop doing that and just take some time out and then when I got back into doing things I sort of built up property and focused on that and it's been a sort of an unplanned long journey but I co-own um, a investment property buyers agency it's a website called ifindproperty.co.nz uh, we're in New Zealand's probably largest investment property agency in terms of coverage and area, we're a buyer's agency. So we only work for buyers and we only do investments. How long has that been running for now? 12 years. So a lady called Marie Tassel started in 2008. And one of my projects when I was sort of kicking my heels after quitting finance was I built up a sort of kind of competing website, which um, I left that and moved into iFind. I'd been friends with Marie for a long time. She was actually, she sold me my first two or three rentals. Uh, and I joined in about 2014. So you had you had used her service before and thought, okay, this is a cool way to do it. This is helpful. It is, yeah. And and my background's IT and systems, um, as well as being an investor. And her background is you know sales and and, and stuff. And and we just were a, a good fit in that um, together we can build something significant uh, apart. Were- there's, 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 you know, there's limits. 
you've also got that special school of being able to convey ideas well too. You know, your blog oh, posts thanks. are really well written, and, <laughs> and that that's quite a unique combination. Being able to um, explain ideas to in a way that everybody can understand, but also be able to understand the IT side and the system side, and be able to put those two together. Yeah, I think uh, my background in Japan, I, I quickly got into project management, um, which is basically translation. And you're standing between techies in the US and bankers in Japan, speaking A, different human languages and B, different like content languages. So I, to, to actually be able to earn a crust, I sit, literally had to take this technical gobbledygook and explain it in terms of like daily life to these people and then take their daily life uh, workflow stuff and then turn around and translate it in technical gobbledygook. So I, that was sort of the battleground in which I learned that stuff. And also my parents are high school teachers um, and my sister's a teacher. And if I could say there was a job, I could probably just walk in on day one and, and pick up, assuming I had some qualifications, it would be something in education. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I got a few natural um, and a few learned aspects that led me to be uh, more sort of a teacher type personality. Excellent. That's been pretty good. What going back one step before you uh, started working with Marie, what what got you interested in property in the first place? I uh, I think I read Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which was probably how half the Kiwis in New Zealand first learned about property. Um, and I wanted to do it. Then I went to Japan and I was working. I didn't really make a lot of money for a few years. I was just figuring it out, having a good time. Um, but as I drifted into IT and then drifted, well, I always had an IT degree, but I drifted into finance and banking. I really just started to not enjoy it. Wasn't a lot of intrinsic motivation for me to work in investment banks. Then I, so I quit the bank I was working at uh, and I joined an IT vendor and that was fine. And then it got bought by a bigger vendor and a bigger vendor. And it basically came the same as a bank. It's just another big thing. Um, and I looked around the room and I just remember seeing all these very successful people in their 40s and 50s who were hunched over computers and miserable because they'd been managed by a guy in Hong Kong off a spreadsheet and all he cared about was his number. And I was just, nah, this is not me. So property was just something that uh, would give me a bit of flexibility. Um, I really didn't know much. I mean, I bought my first property the book I read said go for high yield. So I bought something in Cowra. I could have bought in South Auckland for the same price, about 250,000. <laughs> property in Cowra went down 30%. Auckland properties went up three times. So um, <laughs> just listen. Just, I'm just saying, I'm throwing that out there early on just in case I come across as smart. And, um, but I think the thing that worked for me was I then went and bought another one, then went and bought another one. Um, and then I realized that buy and hold was going a bit slowly. Perhaps I bought in not so great areas. So I started, I found a, um, a guy and we started doing joint venture trading. So I'd, I had equity, so I would fund deals that he would turn over. Uh, and that started to pay down deals, debt. And, you know, as, as you do more, you learn more. And I, um, we turned what we were doing into a website. We we're selling these properties to investors. And in order to sell properties to investors, you really need to learn how to communicate about about them and understand different things and look at different strategies. And honestly, it was just like learning as I went, I got to meet so many amazing talented people who were doing a lot of great stuff and just naturally drifted into sort of adopting some of their practices around how they did their own investing. 
How did you how did you go about at that stage? Um, first of all, finding people like your uh, joint venture partner and and Marie as well, and and reaching out to those people and making the those connections to the point where you know you you would do a business deal together with them. How what did that initial sort of reaching out look like? <laughs> Google.com. <laughs> and I did not do a whole lot of due diligence. I remember Marie being like, like I called her and I was like, all right, I'll buy a house. Um, and I think the same thing was with this other chap who I was like, all right. Um, I mean, I was buying the property. So I had to do due diligence. Excuse me, I'm just going to walk a little bit and shut a door. There's something crashing. Um, so I was buying the uh the property so i need to be comfortable in what i was buying and that it was going to work and we'd be able to sell it and understand and by basically doing that i started to understand how trading and stuff would work but really i just rang up and started having a chat and i remember the first time i called the fella um he was like yeah yeah i got lots of investors chasing me all the time and i think i was persistent and also when he did come to me with a deal i did it uh, as opposed to probably 90% of investors, when someone comes to them with a deal, they freak out. Um, obviously, I, I did it after thinking about it and running the numbers, but once the num- I realized the numbers would work, I pulled the trigger. There's a certain leap of so, faith you have to take at that point just to get started. Isn't yeah. It? yeah, I mean, there's a leap of faith. I think naturally from an early age, I, I realized I was on the other side of the world, so I needed to trust other people's judgment. So I just looked around deals to trust if you get a lot of information points around a property and they're all in line and they're not, no one's got huge vested interest, um, that works. And it was a risk. He could have been a shyster and, and it might not have worked, but he, the, the idea of a joint venture is you, you don't get, the other guy doesn't get paid until you sell and you realize profit. So unless there's some extremely underhanded stuff going where he's selling something from someone else and you're, um, uh, it's not good, then, then you know, your interest is sort of aligned and the idea is you do uh, 20 deals and not, not just muck around with one. I did call a couple of people, actually. I'd known Marie for a few years. So I called her and, and said, look, what do you know about him? And I called a couple of other people and, you know, reputation was all right. And again, I was in Tokyo. I was making pretty good money. Um, I, I got a rental appraisal, but didn't sell. I was going to rent it out. And so we went for it. Nice, man. I think we made sixty thousand dollars in three weeks. Wow, what a that start! That was in two thousand and eleven. Yeah, it was a good start. And then the next property took three months to lose ten grand, and it's around the corner from where I am in Rotorua. I walked past it the other day. We sold it to someone for two hundred and ninety thousand or something. It's worth about six hundred grand now. Nice <laughs> <laughs> little reminder each time you walk past. Yeah, that. you know, oh man, some of the houses I've sold over the years, crazy. It's interesting. You know, that's a, a really common refrain I, I hear from people having been in property for a long time and being around people that have brought and sold properties decades ago, it's just the most common uh, mm. message that you get is, you know, <laughs> well, it, it makes me think, Hey, never sell unless you have to, but also that, you know, that, that holding, holding properties for, for a good period of time, if that's your strategy is a really powerful. Holding, holding is how you make your wealth. Um, there, there's some very successful traders in Auckland who, became ultra successful when they actually started not selling one in 10. So I was trading joint ventures. You do it for trading. So the idea is you buy it to sell. Because um, that you have to, it's hard to hold a property together as a joint venture for, for a long time. It's not well. worth doing. Um, uh, I, I believe that life paths diverge over time. So you'd only really do a hold as a JV if it was the only way you could get into the property and you'd need to have an exit strategy. 
so you can get off and do your own thing. Because in that time, one of you is going to meet a life partner and you're going to need to pull your equity and capital out. The other person suddenly not going to want to sell. The market might not be good. You might have under maintenance. And all of a sudden, this thing which was going so well is a hindrance. Whereas if it's a three-month, four-month, five-month deal, um, at least you, there's, a, there's an end in sight and you, you know what's happening. So to jump back to I find property for a little bit. Sure. I thought maybe a good way to start sort of talking about how you help people there would maybe to be to would possibly be to describe your typical or ideal client. Who do you guys? Our ideal client. <laughs> no. Okay. I understand. So we've got about 9,000 people in our database and there's a huge variant in where they're coming from, what they're looking for, what they have, etc. It's really has grown significantly over time. Um, so there is no typical person who we have on our system. The most of the people we will, so probably 90% of our deals are secondhand. So existing properties. Okay. Uh, we do help people into new builds, um, but it's just not the only thing we do. And since we are probably the only agency that covers New Zealand and does existing, we tend to get everyone who wants to do existing or, or can't eventually find us. And we specialize in properties where you can add value and improve. So you get paired up with an investor in the area that you're looking at and they're a pro. They've been in the market for a while. They've got rentals. They've got the right property manager. They've got good builders. And they know which side of the street is good or in Wellington, which side of the hill is good. And they will help you. They'll find the deal and help you do the analysis, help you work out the upside, tee up a builder, um, help you order a building report, maybe read it with you. In the end, you make the decision, but it, you know, and, and, and it's really people who are looking for, um, you know, reasonable areas, but some cash flow and equity gain through this whole process. Uh, most of our clients are busy. They live out of town, so they're not where they're investing. Um, the funny thing is you could be a new beginner investor, but because you live in the city where you're looking, um, that they, they, they automatically assume that you're going to go out and, and kill it with your first deal. Uh, you know, I wish you the best of luck. It's not that easy, but it's normally people are time poor. Often they're out of town or overseas. We do a lot of overseas Kiwis. Um, they've got, you know, obviously got, got financial approval in place and either they have a pretty clear goal around what they want property to do for them, or they're willing to chat with me until that we can get to the point where they have a clear numbers based goal because then it made the decision on what to buy and where and how much and when and how to build that portfolio becomes easier because you can tie it back to some, some numbers. We tend to struggle with folks who are just looking for a nice house that they can pay off um, because we charge a buyer fee and it's very hard to put value around our service. If there's no value, they're not looking at any numbers on their thing. Yep. So there are folks with a specific goal in mind. Uh, just regular people, not 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 um, ultra wealthy people who've got freehold houses and stuff. It's often folks who have got their equity out to a point where finally in their house, they, they can make that first move. It has to work. Otherwise, there's not going to be a second move. And, uh, you know, we can make sure that they nail that. And we had two guys buy last week who were buying their second property with us in 12 months. Awesome. Um, and the fact that they were able to buy a second property within 12 months even with current high deposits, uh, meant that they did something right. Absolutely, and, and key is getting that first one or two right so that you can um, 
go further if you want to. Anyway. Yeah, my first one I got wrong. It went from 250 purchase price to 180 in value in a year. Uh, it was right at the start of the GFC. So I know exactly what it's like to, to go backwards. And it's something I try to talk to people a lot of time is when you're building up momentum, the first buy feels like you're moving forward the slowest. But if it's going against you, you have to spend two years just getting back to the point where you started. Mm. So it's really, really important to get something that propels you in the right direction. I'm definitely going to ask a little bit more about that a little bit later on. But um, jumping back a step, uh, perhaps a, a good place to, to, to segue into here is, you know, what would you say, what are the common fears that people have before buying their very first investment property? So if you've got that client who's got their own home, built up a bit of equity and is ready to sort of take that leap, what are the, the common fears people have and, and how have you helped people overcome those? Yeah. So, I mean, vague, unspecified fears are really common. And I mean, because most people have a, a vague fear of tenants damaging the house. That's a big one. Um, a big one. Of picking the right tenant. It all tends to come around to tenancy, like things that could yeah. go wrong with other human beings live in this, this house. Um, of, uh, you know, maintenance and interest rates. And I think part of that is to do with the, the, the way that new build properties, companies that sell them tend to market them. They say, oh, you get great tenants and there's no maintenance and there's, you know, builder warranties and all of this, which is, which are, I guess, are features, but none of them are to do with the actual numbers and way properties make you money. Um, and people, they tend to use them as, 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 as fear points. Um, other concerns, I mean, I, I hear this a lot. My partner might not, doesn't want to do it. Um, so even within the family, one side kind of wants to do it. The other side doesn't really want to do it. And the problem that you get from that is that when something goes wrong and it always will, then they, they're going to have a fight. Yeah, so my, my first thing when I hear that is, well, you guys need to um, sit down and agree to support each other through this. Because um, if you're not going to support each other and back it, then I'm mean, going to go put your money in the share market or something. Mm. Uh, I guess there's a little bit of unemployment. Um, I hear building materials a lot. Can, you know, it's all about looking after the place and, and the people tend to be the vague fears and people talk themselves out of good deals because of something that might happen one day. And um, what they forget is that property's probably gone up in value by a hundred thousand dollars by then. So spending 10,000 bucks to fix carpet. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, and you the can way I manage somehow by, you know, that's where you look for properties where it's a balance of cash flow and, um, mm potential yeah. gain and things as well. And we can talk a little bit more about that soon, but that's where you're correct. The numbers that you, that you set up at the start of the key. Yeah. The numbers are, I mean, you, you definitely want a property paying for itself, particularly with these low interest rates. I think you're taking on too much risk. If you're topping up a, 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 a house when the mortgage is at 2.8%. Um, but back to mitigating those risks. So often with new folks, I say, look, just, just get a property manager. I have a property manager. I'm a professional investor. I, I'm in, immensely capable of going out investing tenants and doing all this stuff there's a skill in it uh you have to, to to manage your own properties you need to know the residential tenant inside and out you need to know the process for filing claims with the tenancy tribunal you need to understand how to take bonds and file them and what can be deducted and what isn't you need to know how to do inspections and how often and to keep your insurance up to that and people think of all this and get overwhelmed 
But because New Zealanders have this DIY ethos where I paying someone else 8% of rent to, to manage my asset is when I could do it myself is bad. They then think that they should do it. Otherwise they're kind of like failing as property as people or something as Kiwis. And so but because it's going to be difficult and they're already busy, um, they then talk themselves out of property investment. Whereas I, the way I manage my issues is I get an email from a property manager telling me what was fixed this month and that they vetted the two tenants, one of them passed, and they'll be moving in next week with a $30 a weekend credit. That's it. And then, oh, yeah, and I get the ding on my phone when money comes in. Yeah. I think today's payday, actually, last day of the month. Um, seriously, I, I put zero thought into any of the property management stuff. You, you pick a, a good local property manager, and I'll probably put my foot in it a bit by saying, on average, the property management businesses that are not affiliated with a real estate agency live and die by their, that service alone. So yeah. you're going to get a better result by going with them. That, I mean, within agencies, they're going to be great superstars and subpar players and the same as out there. But you're giving yourself a much better chance. If you go with a company like Quinovic, who only do property management versus you know an LJ Hooker office where you know the cynic might say that those properties are basically <laughs> being held in, in in waiting to be sold again and and there's less you know and people get more properties for fewer resources and, and what have you but i i would just i mean just hire a property manager honestly they'll keep you every time i talk to someone they say oh we've got this property it's under rented i was like oh great so you more you manage your own properties then so it costs them tens of thousands of dollars a year for the privilege of saving two and they probably haven't inspected if there's a slow leak they're gonna to have to pay for it all the stuff that they're stressed about just, just hire someone to do it you, you're gonna make money as an investor by finding good investments and then getting ready to find another one you don't make your money as an investor by um, saving seven percent of your rent to spend 20 hours a week managing other people's lives I've learned that Sorry, there's a diatribe there that, that went. <laughs> no, you're spot on. I mean, I see that as being a really common pitfall that people buy their first investment property or maybe even their first one or two and they manage it themselves to save that yeah. little bit of money. And that experience over a couple of years just turns them off the, the, <laughs> the purpose entirely. And it's just completely backwards. And they might be doing it during a flat period of the market. So it's not only is it hard work, but it's not going anywhere. Then they'll have some damage. Uh, or they'll get a tenant in and give them a shot and then it turns out to be a disaster because you know the partner moves in. Um, I think the reason many people self-manage their properties is one of two reasons. Either they keep their old house as a rental and the cash flow is not good because your old house is normally not going to be a very good rental property. Uh, in fact, 95% of the time you should sell the house and go buy a rental property. Or they didn't buy a property with a good cash flow, so they're having to top up a mortgage and paying a property manager is worse, makes cash flow even worse. So again, poor buying decisions and lack of strategy and lack, perhaps lack of discipline or just lack of knowledge of what was achievable out there at the start means that later on they try and control costs, which causes issues. I'm really interested in that uh, point you just made about uh, making a real business case for whether the property you currently own is going to be a good first investment property. You're so right. I mean, I've met so many people over the years who have kept their three bedroom home in Newlands or Johnsonville and Wellington and kept it as a rental and gone and buying their next property. 
what in that situation how would you evaluate that property that you currently own versus i guess what i'm also trying to ask is what's kind of the criteria that you would uh look for like what what would a what would a what boxes would a property need to tick to be either a good property to buy or a good one to keep how would i make this decision so first thing i would look at is do you have any criteria just put this house to a side do you have any criteria for what you would use to buy a property numbers numbers wise um if you don't then you you can't make a decision so you need to start thinking about yield and equity and 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 all of the above um then you bring your house back into focus say if i was to walk in off the street tomorrow and buy and be house shopping would i buy this house as a rental property um if the answer is yes because it meets some number or something or there might be potential to add another dwelling on the back or extend the house or add a bedroom you know you can do all that once you move out and and get the yield up then that's great keep it odds on it doesn't uh the worst reason to keep property as a rental is to save on real estate agents fees um that's uh, i'm not even gonna say anything about that it's just that's just silly um so I, I look at this as, a, as, an, as an exercise in return on your capital. So you've got equity in this house um, that's built up. And, oh, sorry, the other thing is people think that, oh, I could get $400,000 a week for this. I only paid 200 grand for it 30 years ago. So it's a Don't work out yield. the yield. Don't work out the yield on what you bought it for. Work it out on what it's worth right now, how much. Yeah. Yeah. When you're making that decision, that particular, do I sell my house or not, you've got to look at basically current value and what else. It's it. What else could you get for that money is, yeah. is really the crux of it. So, and it's opportunity cost. So if you've got a four bedroom family home in Johnsonville that you could get $600 a week for and sell for 800 grand. Um, and let's say it was freehold. So you got 800,000. You could go buy probably a two flat property somewhere in greater Wellington, perhaps with a small mortgage that would get you $1,100 a week. So for roughly the same money, yes, you've paid an agent, um, you might have even paid a property finder. You might have even done some renovations and stuff. So you might have $50,000 of cost. For 50 grand, your income has gone from $600 a week to 11. So $1,100 a week is 55 grand a year, more perhaps, um, versus 30 grand. One is a nice amount of money. The other is halfway to retirement. So I have this conversation so often and I don't think anyone ever listens to me i was chatting with a a lady in auckland a couple of weeks ago very nice lady she has a freehold one bedroom unit in an absolute blue chip suburb that's gone up in value six hundred thousand dollars one of 12 is never going to improve and she's got approval to spend five hundred thousand and she said well i need to i want something in rotorua and i said well why don't we sell you one in, in suburb x then your approval is a million We'll get your home and income in Auckland that you can retire into the smaller unit. But in the meantime, your, your income is going to go from, I think it was going to be about $700 a year to, uh, again, 60,000. And you've got your toe in Auckland and you're, you're not spending anything extra because you're just moving the debt chairs. And this whole moving the debt chairs sort of thing is, is something a lot of investors don't do. And, and a good time to do it is when you're actually you know, looking to sell or move. That's really interesting points there, and there's so much more we could we could dig into. But I think that's such a a nice message that look at it from the eyes of an investor. If you if you own your home already and you're thinking about keeping it as a rental, if you didn't own that home and you were out looking 
would you consider that one? Would that one be top of your list? Or probably yeah, still? almost always the answer is no. I mean, the only exception is really if the person, if it was either in a cheaper suburb and you get good rents there because that was your your toehold or you deliberately bought a two flat property or something with that long-term goal of when we move up, uh, we'll hold it because it, it already suits. I, I can speak to that directly as well. We're, I still own my first home that I brought, which we don't live in now, but we, we own that first home as a rental. And that's, you know, your typical three-bedroom house. And we also were lucky enough to buy a, a multi-unit property. Both of these are in Wellington. They're both worth probably about the same amount of money, but one gets essentially twice as much rent because it's pretty flat property versus the, the standalone three-bedroom home. Um, yep. So I can attest to that being a, being a very real... Yeah, you can see it in your bank account every, every two weeks. So, yeah. The, one of the, going back to, um, you know, uh, common fears or, or misconceptions that people have is often that, oh, well, I'll keep that two or three bedroom standalone home because it's going to have better capital gain. Do you get that a lot? Is that a common sort of response that comes up to? Yeah, I, I'm so tired of the, can I buy in an area with capital gains? Um, I don't need cash flow. I want, I want to buy capital gains. Um, and, and this is probably driven by the common conception of properties. You just buy it so that it goes up in value, you make a bit of coin. Um, how long have we got on this topic? Because, <laughs> <laughs> man. Um, so where to start? First thing is you don't buy capital gains. Um, they happen. Uh, you can look at your judgment of where New Zealand's going. Um, but if you went back 10 years and you had to pick between Tauranga or Hamilton or uh, Wellington and you picked any of them, you would have done probably just as well in terms of value increases. It will just happen at different, different um, points. So really don't, don't stress. Um, second thing is if you shift your cash into something else, that's better when the market goes up. Sorry, not better. It's high return. You're still going to get the capital growth. Um, if you go and look at your three flat property, it's probably shot up in value just as much as, as, as your home, if not more, because of the higher cash flow from it. Um, it's also, I guess it's a limiting approach too, isn't it? Because if you buy one or two properties or, or keep one or two properties and they are fairly low yielding, you imagine you'll hit a roadblock with the banks. Very, very early. Yeah. Uh, very early. And it's, it's a, something that annoys me about certain industry uh, businesses that market predominantly in brand new properties is they stress that your choice is between a nice low yielding brand new property. Look at it. It's pretty or something in the sticks where there's only a dairy and it's half rotten and gang members live there. And that's it. What do you want? And, and it's just rubbish because um, well, it's just rubbish. Uh, I don't even need to explain it. There is no choice. You don't have to choose between yield and capital growth. You, 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 you can get a good property and then capital growth. Well, it's the rising tide. There's no boats unless, a, unless the property is messed up and it's got a hole in the boat. Stick with that story. Yeah. Um, everything goes up. So, but you want a property that you can keep and afford to keep with this capital gain. Yeah. yeah. And you need to understand how the banks look at uh, servicing, which you've just brought up, and, and, and that's a huge point, particularly right now where servicing is the main constraint for investors looking to build their portfolios. 
is uh, every property you buy, banks are assessing your debt at 7% PNI. And so every property you buy, unless you get like 11% gross yield, which doesn't exist unless you develop for it, um, and it's a big development, uh, is going to erode your serviceability. So basically your capacity to buy will decrease a lot slower if you get some reasonable yields. Sure. Um, so there is a balance. I mean, it's good to have stuff in, in, in good central areas, but if I had to choose between two houses in central Auckland versus three in Wellington versus five somewhere else, you know, I, I'd be doing some rigorous thinking about this over, you know, 20, 30 years of ownership. Uh, but that whole capital growth, I, I, I'm going to hold on to it in case it's going to go up. But what if you sold it and you bought something with two flats on it and that went up? In the meantime, you're making twice as much money. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, what does the extra five hundred dollars a week make to your? I don't want to put people down, but I think it's honestly it's almost lazy thinking. Um, that if you thought critically about this for probably ten minutes, you'll realise that um, holding on to my house for the sake of it potentially going up in value makes very little sense. Awesome message, man. That's really really powerful to hear. I think a, a lot of people, um, myself included, will f- would fall into that boat and and need to have a, a good look at some of those decisions that have been that we're making. It's. I mean, you got to run the rule over yourself. But within reason, obviously, look, I mean, property has a very high transaction cost. So, you know, you buy or sell, you're paying three, 4% plus legal fees, plus, plus all this other stuff, bank fees, et cetera. It's not like buying and selling in the share market. So I'm not saying every year go and run the rule over your stuff and, and do an annual return on equity and, 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 and buy and sell and stuff because, you know, it takes a while to recover all those extra costs. But this is, you know, every five or 10 years, you know, have a look and it particularly mm. with family homes. Um, you know, if you bought a property as an investment and it's doing well as an investment, that's different from if you bought a property to live in. Yeah. Um, so my properties, I've got a property in Wellington and Newtown. It's two flats. I bought it for 900 and something and I developed it. I spent three or 400,000 on it. It's now worth close to 2 million. It's wow. um, very, very nice. Um, gross rent I think is $2,300 a week. So it's right in the middle of it. Nice, etc. Values. I think I'm just, was it 1.9? So I, I'm not going to sell that just because the gross yield on value is, is 6% and, and, and the other, cause I'm getting my 11 for that, for that thing. I mean, that's my, my best deal. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying go through all your deals and say, well, everything that's at five, I'm going to sell and go get something at seven. Um, it, it just throw some nuance in there. Yeah. What, what are some of the areas that you, that you are liking at the moment that your team is liking or that you're finding that your clients are, are doing deals in um, all around New Zealand, I guess is what I'm saying, like whether it's Rotorua or Christchurch or Palmerston North. So we cover every market in New Zealand from Whangarei down to Dunedin. Dunedin's just come on board. Um, and it's funny because I just see demand rippling around, uh, it, you know, where, where people are going to. Um, the hottest market in New Zealand right now, which I, as far as I can see, is probably the Hawke's Bay. Um, and it's just because it's a good lifestyle area. It's probably a bit remote. So people there, let's just keep going after COVID. And um, it's been to Dunedin, I think, is very, very hot as well. I don't think there are any particularly cooled off markets, except perhaps Queenstown and these beach holiday towns like Whangamata and, and what have you. Anything with 
Bob Jones said it best, you know, square shaped houses near jobs are your best uh, investment and there are a multitude of jobs. Um, your better investment because, you know, people in a, in a recession or in downtimes move towards employers. But with the 2.7% interest rates that we're getting at the moment, everything is, is cash flow positive. Absolutely everything. Um, so rather than saying best areas, I would say within areas, uh, first home buyer stock is very, very popular right now because a lot of people have seen the deposit requirements and the interest costs uh, plummet. And so, you know, while there's a lot of employment that's been affected by COVID, there's a huge amount, the vast majority of it hasn't. I mean, I saw an estimate that 78, 80, 70 to 80% of people are just, you know, on their old, old wicket. Mm. And of that, there's a lot of people who wanted houses, so they're out there trying to get it. Um, so and that, that makes trading very popular because you can, you can tr most people buying a first time use KiwiSaver, they don't have $50,000 to do a renovation. So you can buy something, renovate it and sell to them and, and they get what they want and you get what you want. Mm. Um, generally the higher end which is not what we deal with like very nice high expensive eight nine hundred million dollar plus family homes I think there's a lot more selectivity around there because folks need to consider the security of their appointment before making those decisions Wellington probably an exception um, but in terms of markets I mean I just bought a family home in Rotorua where I live uh, I bought a three flat property in the South Island. I put an offer in on a property and pulled out during Jellington Christchurch a while back. I've got investments in Wellington. I'm happy to buy in Wellington. I'm pretty much, you know, I sleep around my property markets. But, um, and I, I, you know, I've got this great team of experts. So I, if there's anything juicy that none of our clients go for, um, that's okay. <laughs> Come on, send it to me. But um, that's a common. I, mean, I need to get worse. I need to dial back the marketing because every time someone does really well, I, I tell a story about it and then I can't get at those deals anymore. Well, it's, it's one point I was going to ask you about because I imagine one of the. Uh, I imagine someone who's looking at becoming a potential client of yours, they might say, oh, well, these guys would just, you know, keep the best deals for themselves. Why would they? Why would they pass on anything that's good if I'm if I'm? Using I get that all the time, all the time. Why would you not just buy other properties yourself? Now, I would say our each of our agents trying to do ten or twenty deals a year. Now, I would love to buy ten or twenty properties a year. If you can go to the BNZ and just have that conversation with them, so that I've got pre-approval for eight million dollars to go shopping in Wellington uh, for the next five years annually, that would be fabulous. Thank you. Uh, and that's my answer. You can't. So if you think about it that way, um, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So look, I, I am an active investor every time I, I really, I, what I'll often do is put myself in the, so what, the way we work it is a queue. So I'll explain our service. Um, if you were to come to us and say, Nick, I, I really want to invest in Christchurch. I'm looking for a 7% yield or a 6.5% yield. That's central good, you know, perhaps land that can be developed down the time. It's sort of a, half location but i want a reasonable yield don't mind a reno sort of thing okay great cool we'll sign you up as a buyer's agency client it doesn't mean we've got listings what it means is i'll put you in touch with persephone or contract you then persephone in her daily hunt going around all the open homes looking at what's out there we'll be looking at deals and going actually this one suits andrew come send it to you i run through it with you uh, okay we think you're going to buy it at this price spend this on it to improve it then here's our agency fee you're going to gain this in equity or you're going to gain this in yield or what have you. And if you like it, you put an offer in at the, the, the number we suggest. 
we have to get the due diligence and you buy it. While she's working with you on that deal, she's obviously not working with anyone else and we don't compete. And we limit the number of folks on this buyer's agency uh, program to probably three, ideally three at the most with each agent, unless there's someone who wants something particularly unique and then we'll, you know, four or five, but no more than that because otherwise people have to wait too long before they get their property. And also you get double ups. Like people, someone will see something that someone else has been worked on and they get, they get annoyed. So what I have done is, is for in a couple of years, just put my, my hat in the ring and said, look, if, if you see a property and you haven't got a client on it, uh, feel free to give me a shout. Or in one case, no, I want, actually want to be a, a, a client um, for this deal. So if you get someone else who comes along and wants similar criteria, can you just, you know, treat me like a client and work with me. And then once I've got my property, then you can onboard them and say, great, we're going to start your search. I never, we never jumped the queue or anything. I mean, it's, it's, uh, our business is, is grown to the point where it's just not worth uh, mucking things up over, over a single transaction. And also you, you want repeat clients. You want people to, to buy another one and another one ideally. And, and yeah. So, yeah, I mean, my portfolio at the moment is I've just bought another multi-income flat. So I've only got a few. I don't have that many rentals. Um, I tend to sell down and, and gravitate around high-value stuff. So my the value of my portfolio is over $6 million, but it's actually on four titles. Um, sure. I'm happy to buy, for me, a property every two years and, and spend time improving it and bed that in and then go on to the next one. Whereas our agents are obviously trying to do one or two transactions a month. The scale is very different. And, you know, they themselves might see one a year that they want to buy and they'll go and buy it, but that has nothing to do with the 10 or 20 deals that they're trying to knock out of the clients, you know, each month. So if someone comes to you to, to be a client like this, should they already have finance pre-approved or do you put them in touch with people who can, who can help them? We, well, either have it improved or sorry, approved and we can, or we put them in touch with a couple of brokers that, that we work with. Oh. Yeah. Um, and you also have on your website, you'll have a few properties that are available. You sort of have a running list of um, yeah. properties that are, people can browse at any one point in time too. Mm. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm redoing our website, and that's going to be a lot less visible uh, because our business has shifted really to being buyer's agent. So we we talk to you, then we go and execute a search, which has uh, been a really popular service. And we just for our clients who talk to us, we had a much much higher success rate of getting them a deal in a short period of time than before, which was basically join our database, wait for something, and yeah. if you're the first person to put your hand up when the email comes in, then you, you can have it, which is sort of harking back to the property finding days. However, we still have um, probably the odd one or two a month that we will see and actually sign up as an agency um, and we'll put them on our website and we'll send them out as a newsletter, but it's way, way, way fewer than, than it was before. Um, we shifted our model in around 2015 when the markets really started to heat up and we just had a lot of buyers who wanted to buy and we just were not able to secure enough properties. So we said, well, let's start with the buyer and then go hunting for them. And uh, with a few tweaks along the way, it's been really popular. Fantastic. Fantastic. I, while we're on that subject, I'd thoroughly recommend anyone listening goes on and jumps on to subscribe to your newsletter. It's full of awesome information. And just so I don't forget to say, you've also got a, a, a essentially like a free course people can register and take online yes. as well. Yep. So I find property.co.nz forward slash course. 
Uh, I wrote it. There's about a month's worth of material every couple of days. And it just walks you through from setting goals to understanding yield and equity to getting finance to finding a property to managing a property. Uh, it's not really just about qualifying people to be clients of ours. It's, it is teaching the fundamentals of property. And it's been uh, pretty well received over the years. Every so often I get emails from people saying, the LBR rules have changed. You need to update it. I'll go on and do that. Uh, the, that sounds like an awesome step for someone to take if they are a little bit nervous about jumping in completely, you know, but they, they sort of like the premise of this whole idea, but need to um, build up their knowledge base first before they... Before I, they I recommend taking a month or two at uh, the start to understand the numbers and fundamentals around how this works. If only so that you can ask the right questions mm. uh, down the line. Like I was chatting with a couple last yesterday, they messaged me and they said, oh, I've got this property under offer. It was a multi-acre and we talked about it. It's just not a suitable property for them. And they said, do you offer mentor? I said, look, I, I kind of do, but I don't really advertise it, but I do have this course. If you bring me to it, it'll walk you through some of this stuff. So then, at least then you'll understand whether you need a coach or you need a, a better financial advisor. It's a starting point and it's effective. And you'll know where the holes in your approach are or where the holes in your knowledge are. Yeah. It's just being starting to be aware of what you, of what you don't know. And like any field uh, you learn a bit by doing, but you also can learn an awful lot by going to the library with, you know, and, and getting out three books and doing these courses and watching the webinars and stuff. And, and you don't really know what the starting point needs to be for your situation. With, and it's like work. You show up on a Monday and you just start doing things. And eventually it all starts to make sense in your head. And a couple of years in, you're experienced and you, and you, and you do the job like that. At the start, it can be really overwhelming. So I'd just encourage people to, to uh, get start pulling in information from different areas. There are uh, mentoring schools, so that you can pay five, ten thousand, even thirty uh, for a, for a year or two of education. And again, those are, can be effective, like right student, right course. But I, I would have a read of a few books and, and stuff first, just to make sure that what they're doing is is sort of in line with what you want to do, and you can ask questions to understand that. Are there any books you would highly recommend people check out? Uh, there haven't been many recently. Uh, about two, we've got a couple on our website. So again, ifindproperty.co.nz slash store. Um, one is by a lady who I used to be in our business called Lisa Dudson. It's called the New Zealand property guide. And the course that I have for free is basically a, a very minified version of this book, which is basically A to Z fundamentals of property investment step-by-step. Step. She's a pretty well-known author mm. uh, and it's a really good introductory primer. Um, Graham Fowler is a popular author and, and an investor. He's a bit of a celebrity investor. Uh, we've got a couple of books of his up there. Uh, the one I'd recommend people have a look at is New Zealand Properties Investors Secrets. It was a real big deal when it came out, I think, 10 years ago, and he's released a second edition. And it's just, I think, a dozen investors telling their case study of, I did this, and I did this, and I worked on this, and I did this, and their values went up, and I paid our mortgage, and da 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 and it's just cool to see different people in different cities getting it done. The thing I like about it is it's not Auckland-centric. Yep. Whereas, you know, a lot of what you see, because half the people in New Zealand live in Auckland, um, you see people investing in all these different areas. And often a lot of them are getting great cash flow and have got a lot of freedom in their life without owning a single bit of dirt and, you know, the big smoke, which uh, 
can be motivating for people who are sitting there thinking, man, if I can $700,000 and I only get this much rent, how am I going to get ahead? You know, you might need to look elsewhere. So those are two good books. And the other one that I've heard a lot of good stuff about is by a Auckland based accountant called Matthew Gilligan. And it's called property 101. He's a tax accountant. He's probably a bit more tax and structure. He's development focused, you know, quite aggressive. But uh, I'll just get your hands on all of those. And if you don't mind me saying two books outside of New Zealand property stuff, I'd say is everyone should read The Richest Man in Babylon before you do anything else. It's an amazing parable that was written about 100 years ago. Uh, and it's I, I read it once a year. Awesome. And the last book, which is not property investment at all, is a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck. And basically it's about treating everything that comes to you as an opportunity to learn and grow. And one of the best things that's happened to me as an investor was whenever I do something new, I decide to treat it as an experiment, um, which means if it goes wrong, I can learn from it as opposed to something by which I'm going to judge myself and other people mercilessly, which is how a lot of this rigid way of thinking has um, left, left us. I love that. I love that so much. It's a really cool message. What does the time frame look like? So someone jumps on as a client, just mm. expectations. Are they? I think a lot of people I meet have a kind of unrealistic expectation of how quickly they hope it might happen that they secure their first property. What do you find the sort of time from first contact to to actually going unconditional on a deal would be? Um, probably. Well, we we ideally, if you need to go and talk to a broker and an accountant. Uh, which you, you, you should do uh, and get everything ready, then that can take you a few weeks. Uh, it's a bit slower than it used to be. Um, if uh, you've got finance and you've got clear goals and you know what you want uh, and we've got to the point we've talked through, but what we do at the start is we, we work out a brief with you and we try to get really specific area, budget, goals, etc. And the reason we do that is because we don't want to be trying to figure this out as we look at houses. We want to be really clear at the start because that's our filter for the 97% of the property market that we can then completely ignore. We're focusing on what works for you. That whole process can be a journey for folks because they've read three books and they want it all. I want great cash flow, capital growth, be able to subdivide, brick and tile, ideally brand new, but I want to add value. <laughs> You know, yeah. and we go, okay, well, that's not going to happen unless you build 10 houses and sell nine of them, you're going to get this. Um, so, you know, getting down to the brief and stuff and, and, and to get quite narrow, because our agent has to agree that they can find that brief. Right. And then you have to agree that you're going to do it because we charge a deposit against our fees, $1,500 to start a search. There's a reason for this. We want you to be really, really committed to your brief. Mm-hmm. Our agent's only going to work with three people and not the other 10 who are waiting just you so you have to be serious about your brief and looking at it and if once we get to that point which can take a week if you're clear it can take a month um we ideally think we can find your property within three to four months is that location dependent on budget so if i come to you and say i've got 600 grand to spend would that influence where you would recommend that purchase is made like whether it's or um the hawks bay or christchurch or auckland yeah, when you're on board with us, we have a lot of conversations to try and work out where we think uh, you should go. 
Uh, some of it might be the strategy that you're looking to do. We will line you up with an agent in our team because they're all investors first um, who's an expert in that strategy. Most of our team are renovators and, and what have you, but we've got a couple who have done subdivisions. So if someone says, I want to subdivide and do this, then you, off you go. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we will talk about population, um, uh, budget, your goal. If someone wants a property and that's it, then up to $600,000 is, okay, well, what can we get for six hundred? If someone wants two or three over a couple of years, then we might go a bit smaller, look at properties we can add value to more, um, we off, we always ask what, what, what don't you like? Um, cause everybody's got their own, uh, preconceptions. If we think that those preconceptions are blocking, then I'll, we'll chat about it. Um, but it's often just a healthy way to do it. I've learned over time that I can't just get on the phone and tell somebody what they should do. They've already, most people have already decided 80% of how they want to be a property investor and it's just helping them understand it and that it's okay to not buy you know, you've got this fear of missing out. So if you invest in Todonga, you don't get to buy in Hamilton because you're using money. And if you spend more time worrying about, oh, should I bought in Hamilton? You never get anywhere. Yeah. So there's that aspect of it. But, you know, there is. We'll, we'll talk about your criteria and I'll suggest one or two markets. And then you'll have a chat with the person I, I really think you should work with. And if you get on, then um, we, get, we get looking. Awesome. Awesome, man. There's one, I'm mindful of the, you've been extremely generous of your time. And that's, that's probably a really good amount of... Um, uh, content to, to give people an understanding of kind of um, how they should think about getting into this into this world and also how your service might might benefit them uh, it sounds like awesome value for money I mean I know a lot of people in New Zealand have that DIY approach um, mm. but, you know I find myself saying to people all the time like it's, it's far more important to get the right property than it is to even to get it at the right price so so having an expert on hand to help you decide if something is a good buy or not rather than just falling into property investment is a sound approach i'd say yeah most of our clients are busy and i just think it's that it's you you've been too busy for five years to look at houses to go to open homes you've got two kids you've got jobs kind of understand how it works but don't really um it just gets done for you by yeah. someone who does it all the time and when we set now, the goals with you, your goal will be like, I want this yield in this year. I want this equity in this year. We agree at the start of the search that we're going to hit those numbers, including our fee. So the idea is that the fee is invisible because we negotiate well or identify upside, et cetera, to cover off our costs. And then you get all the other benefits of, um, you know, the house is A, found for you and B, inspected and C, here's a builder and B, here's how it fits into your long-term growth strategy. And E, do you have a long-term growth strategy? Would you like to help? figure one out because most people don't um so there's a lot of intangibles uh in, in, in play um i lived in japan for 15 years as you can tell by my, my view and um i built up the portfolio i had in, in wellington at least from japan and did a lot of joint ventures from overseas so i'm, I'm pretty comfortable with using and leveraging teams um and I think my passive income this year is about 140,000 or 150. By the end of the year, it's going to be 200. Um, because I just bought something and also interest rates, God bless. Yeah. So leveraging other people, focusing on the, the end goal, which is I don't have to show up on Monday if I don't want to, is probably a lot more uh, motivating and exciting than trying to save money by managing your own properties, only looking where you live, 
doing yeah. yourself, going to 10 open homes, getting, getting tired of it and just buying something so that you don't have to be shopping anymore, which is um, a big thing. So yeah, I mean, it's, I, I'm a big believer in what we do because I used it and I, I know what worked for me. That's so powerful, man. That's an awesome message. There was, there's one more question I wanted to ask you before you go, which was, uh, what are the, uh, you, you possibly you've already answered this. So forgive me if I'm re- getting you to repeat yourself, but sure. There's this, uh, I this stat that I've heard so many times that, you know, the vast majority of property investors end up only owning one or two properties. What, what are the keys to going from one to two to say five or, or going from three or four properties to 20 and maybe, you know, I wrote this question down, but talking to you, you know, you're, you've discussed how actually you don't need a heck of a lot of property to create that sort of passive income. Mm. Um, but I guess a, a lot of people get caught with one or two sort of yeah. properties. That but I, I started with one or two. Okay. Sorry to interrupt there. I started with one or two little ones and I, you know, ramped up. It's an excellent question. So, First of all, at the start, you have to be very clear about the goal that you want and you have to put that as, and, and, and it doesn't have to be right at the start, like wherever you start thinking about this on your journey, you need to start thinking about long-term goals and you need total numbers, like I want this much income or this much wealth. And you need to put a date, like 10 years from now, 15 years from now, because that date is the line of the sand because um, $50,000 passive income someday is achievable for anyone, just chill out. $50,000 in four years means you need to start. You're on the clock and it becomes a project. And you start working back from that and you start making um, strategic decisions. And if those strategic decisions are difficult or new or you want help, then you need to start calling people like me um, or a coach or what have you um, so that you don't get five years into Because if five years in the future, you've got that $50,000 and you have to pay fees and help and whatever to get it doesn't matter because you're yeah. still giving your, your 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 clocking card you're throwing it at the hr lady and out the door um but one of the reasons people get stuck is because they never decided to be a property investor and they bought a house and they moved and they kept it and they bought another house and they moved and they kept it and then they they got to end their life so those folks i guess it doesn't even really matter because that's what they're perfectly happy doing. But if for your, for your audience who are listening to this, who might be like, no, I actually want, I'm going to do this for a reason. Um, one of the reasons, and they're trying to grow and they do get stuck is because the yields are not good and they bought properties that don't have good cash flow, and they hit serviceability limits or they've bought nice homes, uh, you know, with, with nothing that they can do to improve them. And then when they go to do their next property, they haven't got any extra equity that they can use uh, to do it. So, you know, buying properties that you can get a reasonable yield or you can improve the value uh, is, is a good way to do it. And you, you might hit a wall and go, okay, let's go and look at our, our portfolio. And actually this one's really gone up in value. So I could sell this and buy two of these. It was one way to get through it. Another way to get through it is as you go, be a bit more critical. Um, and insist that every rental justifies its spot in your portfolio because otherwise you're just subsidizing other people's housing um, waiting for the values to go up and it can it's, it's not going to your five-year schedule mm. um, so I think that's probably the big one is to people either never came in with that strategy to go bigger or they never had a really specific goal and then insisted that everything that they do basically work towards that goal so I'll talk a little bit about how I think about this stuff 
Um, so my number originally was 50 grand um, because I was in Japan and I needed, oh, it's actually 40, I think. I was living with my wife and just, you know, we're paying half each. We had about a $70,000 run rate in Milan, Tokyo. And I figure if I can get 40K after tax, I can pay for my bit and then do whatever I want for a while. Literally, that was my mindset when I was 29. Um, and so I just got properties that got me towards that. But I also got properties that made it easier to buy my next property. Now, back in the day, it was, it was easier. It's, but heck, it's a lot easier today than it was six months ago with all the drops. So, I mean, it does go up and down. Um, I then rapidly increased said goal. Uh, and I sort of think of properties as either core assets I'm going to hold for a long time. And these are cash flow and earners. So these are typically for me, multiple income, although that's not really a must thing. It just seems to be the one that I've found that it's easier to get rental from yeah. uh, that I can improve and add value. And the reason I buy properties I can improve and add value is because that creates the equity gain through which the capital that I used to buy the property can be, recycle back out and then I can have this house making me money and I can still go buy another house. Um, so I just gradually improve. I do other deals like trading and renovations to sell, to raise cash, which again goes to speeding up the other stuff or buying nice things or paying tax, etc. It's really just extra to, to accelerate. Yeah. Um, you don't need, Oh, this is the other thing. You don't need to be a trader. Um, to, to get ahead in properties or flipper or, or what have you. Yeah. But if you want to do one, um, have a really clear goal and you do need to go and talk to your accountant to understand the tax rules. It's an excellent cash strategy. No one's going to be long-term wealthy because they made $50,000 once. Yeah. You'll be long-term wealthy because you made $50,000 once or twice and then you use that to buy a great buy and hold that you added value to and now 20 years later, that's going to be freehold. Um, and if you were going to buy one property and that doing those trades, let you buy say two, you're going to be twice as wealthy 20 years from now as you would have otherwise. It's, it's, a, it's something that you can use to accentuate what you're doing. But if you don't want to go anywhere near that and just stick to the buy and hold strategy, that's perfectly fine. Um, I would encourage anyone not to don't stay away from property investment because you can't, you don't think you want to flip houses. It's, it's just something that people do. Um, yeah. to speed up the other reason sorry um can i i'm going to dive back to a question you asked me Please, quite a while yeah, why a, people people talk <laughs> people talk themselves out of properties because they don't want to renovate yeah um, or damage i would not know which end of the hammer to hold and i have spent over a million dollars on remodels and renovations and projects and architects and replacing rotten walls and foundations and stuff because what I do know how to do is um, call a licensed builder, read a quote and say, yes. Yeah. And I think the same, so you don't have to manage your property. You don't have to manage your tenants. You don't have to repair things or repaint things or whatever. It's not like, you know, your house, when you, when you need to the backyard, you need a fence and you have to give up the summer to bloody paint a fence or anything with property investor. You just call the fencing contractor and you get an invoice. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's a good, when you when people think about, okay, how can I improve and go faster? Often I say, well, you need to buy property and add value. And think, oh, I can't do that, I'm busy. 
by by adding value, you specifically talking, you know, kind of adding rooms to get to increase the rental of a property or, or sort of cosmetic renovations or uh, anything it doesn't really matter. matter. Yeah. So start at the current value and what's the end value um, you could subdivide. So, I mean, ideally, so man, we talk about adding rooms, you're going to be another 20 minutes, but um, when you're adding bedrooms, uh, you need to, people rent bedrooms, not bathrooms. So generally adding bedrooms increases rent, but there is an upper limit. If all the houses in your suburb are three BDs and you're going to five, um, it, it's it's less of, a, of an upside. But if you're in uh, where I am in central Newtown for one of my properties, going from four bedrooms to five bedrooms increased my rental by 25%. Wow. By refurbing the property and increasing the rent I got per bedroom by making it nice, um, that increased the rent by 75% per bedroom. So I doubled, wow. basically increased the rent per bedroom, then I added bedrooms and I doubled the rent of the asset. Um, that can work in certain areas. Other areas, you just buy a really old tired house and make it nice again. You go from a $300 a week rental to a $550 a week rental. Um, adding a dwelling to the back of the house, uh, you know, you might spend 200000 on it, but you get 450 so that's great yield. Uh, you can subdivide the land and sell it, um, which put, put that back on the mortgage. So you've got a lower mortgage. Uh, if you start combining these strategies, they get really popular. So if you refurb and add a bedroom, then subdivide, then all of a sudden you're approaching getting a house for free. Yeah. And this, as long as you sock that back into the, the business and then use that to go out and, and do new deals, that's when the people start to get portfolios that are profitable quite quickly. Um, and you know, lapping the field sounds like a bit of a grandoise wanky claim, but you, you generally go faster than, than just buying nice houses, paying it off, buying another nice house, paying it off. You don't have to do any of this stuff. I'm not a surveyor, a builder, an architect or a painter or anything. I, but that's the reason knowledge is good and doing this study is good and finding other investors who are good or using a buyer's agent, people who do this for a living is good because you get access to the deals, which once it's done for you or you do it, um, will get you to your goal five times faster. And just leveraging other people's knowledge. Like if you've got a good property manager, that gives you access to their portfolio of tradespeople and their contacts who can help you out and help you through anything you need to get done. Yeah, I, I've got an article on my website. And I, I hope that the, it's ifindproperty.co.nz. I think it's blog or blog yep. and then leverage. Or if you just Google I find property is one word, then space and leverage. Um, I did like a 4,000 word article all about leveraging other people's time. Awesome. Not even the bank's money. Um, that cash cow I own in, in Newtown, I got because I told my property manager I wanted another rental and he sent me the trade me link. Okay. Then I had an architect who went and looked at a, a builder who went and appraised it, a valuer who valued it, my mortgage broker got the financing. I visited it twice because I was in Tokyo. Once halfway through the reno when I looked terrible and once at the end when I looked great. Um, admittedly, I've done this a few times. It's not my first radio, so it takes a bit of confidence in various aspects to do a deal of that level of complexity. But um, buying a house that's tired and hiring a builder to come and do it and using your property manager to be sure on the rents, um, that's not a leap into the unknown. That's just finding a few trusted people and then and working with them. So I'd encourage folks to have a look at that leverage article because all of your knowledge and skills gaps can be um, 
uh, filled in by someone else who knows more and is highly qualified and has done this week in, week out and is an absolute pro and will save you money because they'll be better at it than you trying to figure it out and do it yourself without almost without fail unless you want to become a full-time property manager. That's probably the one exception. I will absolutely link to that article in the show notes. I've found it now. And it, that, that's just what a fantastic resource. Mick, that's awesome. Thank you so, so much. Yeah, no worries. I wrote that a couple of years ago. It's a goodie. Good man. I think uh, that message going back to what you were saying just a few minutes ago about, you know, having a long-term vision, a long-term plan. You know, if you, if you don't know where you're trying to get to, how do you know when you're not there? And how do you know if you're on track is, is, it's uh, just such a such a compelling message such a good one yeah it's hard at the start i think because um everyone's busy and the, you know you, you're tired and at the end of the day you don't want to come home and start deep diving on another topic but i think you really have to invest a bit of time and energy into critical thinking to understand some of these things um or employ a coach or you know come and talk to us and, and we'll help you do it um because that just sets the tone uh for everything and it, 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 you can outsource everything from there on, but you can't outsource your own thinking. I think you also gives you a filter to put decisions through. I see so many people who uh, have fallen into property investment. They've either kept their first home or they've brought one that they saw just down the road from their current house. And, you know, a couple of years go by, they've had a bit of growth. Tenants are moving out and they end up with these decisions to make of, well, should we sell it? And we're a bit nervous about getting another set of tenants and we might not be so lucky this time. Um, if it's made a bit of money, we'd pay a bit off our mortgage. But all these decisions that people voice are really short term. They're really in the now rather than having any relation to any long term plan, which would help, I think, so much. Yeah. Bang on. Awesome. And that, that is a wealth of amazing knowledge. I, I just I can't thank you enough for for sharing that information with everyone today and uh, I'll put links to everything in the show notes and, and anyone listening jump online and, and have a go through that course that Nick has created have a look at those articles and get on the database most importantly get in touch and, and have a chat with the guys and and see how they can help you get where you want to go well, thanks for having me on If you own a rental property in the Greater Wellington region, then please go and check out simplyrentals.co.nz. It's the website for our very own property management company run by my very own property manager, Lynette Sletcher. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I'm super passionate about letting a professional take care of your of your asset. I think it's really important to make sure that your property is run as good as it can be and that your, your tenants get uh, an exceptional service as well. Lynette is amazingly hardworking, she's down to earth, and she's exceptionally good at what she does. So if you own a property in that Wellington region, anywhere from Otaki all the way down to Wellington, all the way out to Masterton, please go and check it out at simplyrentals.co.nz.